0: Welcome to the ACR Bulletin Podcast, the show where we examine the latest trends affecting radiology. I'm your host, Chris Hobson, and today I'm joined by Farouk Dacko, MD, MPH. At the University of Pennsylvania, Dr. Dacko serves as Assistant Professor of Radiology in the Cardiothoracic Imaging Division of the Proman School of Medicine. He is also an LDI Senior Fellow within the Leonard Davis Institute of Health Economics at Penn. Dr. Dacko, it's a pleasure speaking with you today.
1: Likewise, Chris. Thank you for having me on, on your podcast today.
0: Absolutely. We're, we're so honored that you would come back. I, we're going to try to uh, talk uh, maybe touch on some subjects, um, you know, that w- we might go into a little more detail on some subjects we actually touched on last time. So thank you for uh, coming back and, and honoring us uh, with 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 your conversation. And I, I wanted to note that it looks like you're actually joining us from a conference you're attending overseas in Nigeria
1: today. Uh, is that right?
0: Correct. Yes. <laughs> I'm actually...
1: Uh, I've been in Nigeria for about five days I'm leaving today um, uh, a few hours after this podcast I came to attend the uh, association of radiologists in Nigeria An- annual conference I actually had to give a presentation so it, w- it was a hybrid conference but um I felt I-, I felt I could do a better job if I showed up in person so here I am wow really putting your money where your mouth is in terms of
0: global global health that's great and we'll, we'll touch on that today during our conversation. But, you know, and just to, to, to remind folks uh, who maybe didn't see our first installment of our conversation, uh, your main areas of uh, interest lie in advancing radiology in underserved areas and radiologic uh, public health informatics. Uh, we had a robust conversation, conversation like I mentioned uh, last time about about these concepts, um, and and again we'll link to that that last discussion we had in the show notes of today's uh, podcast episode. Uh, but I think when we discussed the concepts of data, data analytics, for instance, and predictive analytics, and how they relate to radiology, uh, maybe the conversation became a little abstract. Um, So, you know, a lot of people are still new to these terms, including myself. Um, So can you please define maybe a, a little more concretely what these two concepts mean fundamentally before we go any further?
1: Sure. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm sure everybody has a slightly different view of what it is. To me, it's, you know, data analytics is simply the process of analyzing data. To obtain useful information to guide decisions, right? And in radiology, we have imaging data and we have non-imaging data. So we do a lot of data analytics of radiology imaging data for various ends, like um, you know, like research, right? Um, you know, review, be it like reviews or original research. But there's also a lot we can do with the non-imaging data. Now, we can analyze it. And first of all, by putting it in a structured format and trying to look for patterns in it, and in order to gain useful information. So, mm-hmm. so that's you know that's kind of what it is. And you know, we can talk. I can give a few examples that 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 um, that we use it for. Mm-hmm. But we all mm-hmm. use, we all do some degree of data analytics in our departments.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, and like I think implicit in that answer is the fact that radiology really sits at a crossroads of so many different um, whether it be, you know, clinicians or specialties, things like that, uh, even, you know, patient interactions that, um, you know, radiology really is so well suited to kind of be, to, to, to kind of be a kind of, uh, to, to kind of rein in a lot, all this data. So, uh, right. but I don't want to put words in your mouth. But I believe that we kind of t- touched on that last time we talked. Is that, is that a fair statement?
1: Yeah. Yes. Um, Definitely. Right. You know, like some examples of like, you know, data analytics that I, I, I think most departments or practices use is sometimes we staff, you know, we staff our practices based on the data that we get from how images are utilized in a certain place. Right. You know, if, 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 you know, if, if you, if, if we gather that, you know, the, the, the ED, you know, or, or the, on or the ORs like order like certain studies at certain times so and we need to staff, accordingly to, you know, to uh, reflect that, right. So that's like, that's an example of using the non-imaging portions of our, um, of, of our studies to, to, to gain useful information, right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people do, do research about like, like to learn about disparities and imaging utilization by seeing how, you know, images are ordered amongst different racial groups, for example. So to me that's all data like analytics, which is taken typically unstructured data, you know, structuring it in such a way for it to be able to make um to, to make sense. Gotcha.
0: Gotcha. Well, uh, and and also when we last talked, uh, you know, you made an important and I think interesting point about how as promising as artificial intelligence is, and it is, um, you know, it can be seen as, by some, as detrimental as you know, it's kind of a yin and yang there. Um, this is particularly true, as I think you just touched on, with respect to you know health equity, since access to this kind of technology could prove to be cha- actually very challenging for some, uh, and, and serve to widen the quality care gap that already exists, not only within you know the United States but globally. Um, so, as a follow up to your initial thoughts, you know, do you think that AI inherently could also you know, we hear so much about the good of AI. Could it have negative repercussions apart from, you know, bias issues, which, you know, again, we'll link to the, uh, the last uh, um, conversation we had in the show notes, because I think you went into, you, you know, you've spoke very eloquently in, in the last episode. But as, apart from things like bias issues, you know, uh, could, could AI have negative repercussions, you know, especially for those in communities who maybe have fewer resources? Right, so I think
1: there's definitely certain different issues, potential issues with with um, AI, right? So we talk we've we've talked about potential biases, right? Um, and there's been a lot that's been published about that, right? You know, AI's ability in itself to intrinsically detect race and what that means, right? And and um, AI basically you know, you know, having outputs that factor on race in a way that we might not want it to, right? But to your point, in addition to that, there are other issues that are, you know, they're not specific to to race or bias per se, right? It could be something as simple as having AI in places with enough without enough clinical supervision, right? To 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 really make sure it's its outputs are supervised and it's been used for the right for the right indication right and, and and then there's also not having it right so one of the potential back then about ai could be not having it when everyone else has it and 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 um what that could what that could do to to um to your outcomes just in terms of keeping up with a you know with the current science so i i think you know, the, the potential issues in AI or of AI are a lot, and we're only un- uncovering them as we start to do more research and as we start to ask, ask more questions. So, so, just- so, 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 really, I just think it's important for everybody to be vigilant as we try to, you know, um, introduce it into different clinical scenarios.
0: Okay, well, thank you for that succinct answer. And and how would you say then that predictive analytics relates to data analytics?
1: Right, so, you know, so we, we said data analytics is really just, you know, structuring data to make sure it makes sense and inform decisions. I think predictive analytics really is just using the same data to make predictions about future unknowns, you know. So, you know, to say, hey, you know, based on this pattern that we're seeing on on Thursdays, we anticipate X, Y, Z, and we can, you know, we we can make um, adjustments to, to, or or we can create interventions in order to um, solve a particular problem. Or on a more population level, for example, we can do things like, say, we can combine imaging and non-imaging data, right? So there's a lot of research about using TT scans, for example, to predict like osteoporosis, for example, right? like low um, uh, bone marrow density and, or things like using chest X-ray to predict future cardiovascular risk using AI um, that, uh, that people are doing right now we can combine that with, let's say geography, let's say, you know, where they based on the non-imaging data where these studies are are coming from to say, Hey, listen, like we're seeing, we're predicting more cardiovascular disease or osteoporosis or, you know, lung cancer, um, things like that in people in this particular zip code, right? Like we're seeing more X, Y, Z here. We're predicting that if, you know, this doesn't happen that three years from now, there it would be X amount of negative outcomes. That's sort of predictive analytics. Again, is on a spectrum with data analytics and we can talk about it on a, you know, on a more granular level. We can talk about it in the hospital or we can talk about it on a population health level.
0: Yeah, and, and I guess part of shoring up those social determinants of health uh, I guess that involves something else that you're really interested in, which is missed uh, care opportunities. So I, 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 so I know that you're saying from a health perspective, but even from a, a purely workflow perspective, is that, is that something else uh, predictive analytics can help with is literally right. getting people to the hospital, things like that. Right. And, it, right. And,
1: it, and a lot of people, folks have done studies saying, you know, predict predictive analytics could like decrease, you know, quote unquote, no shows, right. For, mm. um, you know MRI exams, CT exams, right? Which, as you just mentioned, affects the hospital operation, right? But it's also a miscare opportunity for, for individuals who need care at the time. So, yes, predictive analytics could definitely help with that. And more importantly, to me, is that you know if we truly believe in the science, and if we truly believe that there should be no miscare opportunities, we can we can now intervene. In a data-driven way to to solve these problems.
0: That's so interesting. Much more um, focused and targeted way it sounds like. So, Great. well, you yeah- you know, and you're you, you, you you're, you're there in Nigeria, you've only been there a few days, so maybe this isn't a fair question, but but even expanding out if you know, if, uh, from what you, from your network or people you know there, have you noticed any, any you know, health equality issues on your trip, uh, you know, if we want to zoom out on a global level, and if so, you know, how would you compare the global issues you're seeing about or maybe hearing about abroad uh, with what you deal with in your work uh, on a day-to-day basis in the United
1: States? Right. Yeah, thanks for that question. So, I'm um, I'm I'm actually from from Nigeria. You know, I grew up here a little bit, and I've been working in Nigeria and uh, for, you know, as part of my global health work, mainly through through Aid. Um, and I'm I'm the pro I'm the program director for the Nigeria program for for Aid. So yes, I I think your question is great, and I think there are definitely health equality issues here, right? And even tying that to what we talked about, AI, right? So at this conference that I was, I just came from, one one of the passion, one of the issues that people passionately raised is that if AI comes to Nigeria, who's going to own it, right? You know, like, how do you, like, there really are in, like, are in policies in place right now to make sure that X, Y, and Z persons can't use the, tools, right? These like softwares, right? So we talked about like lack of supervision. They're really concerned about it, right? In a place like this where there's already issues between radiologists and technicians like radiology techs over like, you know, who has the rights to do certain things, right? They're not strong policies here already governing certain clinical issues. So you throw in AI and, you know, they're extremely concerned that AI in a place like this is going to fall in the hands of people with no medical skills, mm. right? No medical training. And it it is only going to make things worse. It's, it's um, so that's definitely something that they're concerned about. And, it, you know, the, the health equity issues that we talk about in America are, are on a global scale and arguably even worse in, other um, low and middle income countries where there really isn't a middle class, right? You have the rich who have access to, you know, one, leave the country if they needed to. You have a massive issue of brain drain, right? Mm-hmm. So so because the system isn't working out for a lot of people and therefore you just have, for example, a lack of physicians, you have other people trying to fill that void, right? So you have people with, without the Right amount of training, who are trying to do more than they they the training should should let them do, and there is a concern that with AI, things can really go get out of hand over here.
0: It makes perfect sense. It's good they're thinking about it ahead of time. I mean, that's that that is a positive thing. It sounds like, um, but. It's, it's a fascinating uh, point of discussion. Hopefully, you'll come back at, at some future point and, and let us know how things are progressing. Uh, yeah. It'd be interesting to, to keep tabs on that. Um, another area I wanted to, just, to cover in a little more depth, uh, you know, and I, I already alluded to it earlier uh, is miscare opportunities. Uh, you know, in our previous discussion, and you you very eloquently just talked about how predictive analytics plays into that. But in our previous discussion, you mentioned, um, you know, how there's substantial data to drill down on, you know, t- in order to figure out the cause behind many care, miscare opportunities, like, again, you just touched on. So identifying the problem is one thing, but operationalizing a response is something else. So you've got the data, you've got a way to analyze it, but then operationalizing a response is, uh, is probably taking it to that next level. So can you please provide you know, some practical guidance to someone who may maybe has identified a need to shore up miscare opportunities, which is probably just about everywhere, uh, and, you know, where they practice, uh, but also maybe who is finding it challenging to align the right stakeholders to resolve the issue.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I've, I've been in a few different institutions over the past few years. And one of the issues that I've, I've actually heard come up is actually just access to the data. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you've heard this too, Chris, is, you know, some folks like us, you know, you're a radiologist in a practice, like how do you get this data, you know, and we've heard from a lot of radiologists that, you know, hospital administration, for example, isn't just releasing this, you know, this data for whatever reason. So, you know, so I think like that might be one of the biggest initial hurdles is just getting the right people together who have the right data to say, okay, you know, like, what times, you know, are patients' appointments being um, scheduled? Who's not showing up? Where do they live? Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, information from like surveys. So I think so, some of it is just restricted by the complexity of healthcare systems. Mm-hmm. But so I do think the, the the most important thing for us as ra- as radiologists, I think, is to be able to show the hospital system sort of the missed cost, the the, the missed opportunity for um, revenue, really, right? You know, given that these CT scanners are, you know, somewhat of a fixed cost, right? And to, to I think we can sort of take the lead and say, hey, you know, this is what a CT scanner can bring to, to a hospital if it's running like XYZ, right? You know, this is, What we're seeing this is how much we're potentially potentially not making so i think you know emphasizing the financial end of things might might be might might have more um traction rather than just saying hey you know this is this is a good thing to do right you know Mm -hmm. because because as we know that 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 doesn't always resonate um throughout uh, the hospital system
0: Right. Speaking that language that the C-suite speaks, which is like bottom line finance speak might might be one way to start. So that's really good advice. Well, one other, you know, speaking of things we touched on last time um, during our last conversation, you know, one other point I wanted to revisit was that how you um, characterize radiology as being data rich, which we've already talked about. But and because of this, the field's in a good position to lead. Uh, a more global approach to healthcare. We've talked about uh, how radiology is really well suited to lead that approach domestically. But if you could zoom out to to globally for a minute, you know, can you please spell out how that, how maybe you see that playing out and, and maybe even if you have one, give an example from from your travels to places like Nigeria who are, who are grappling with this now.
1: Right. So, you know, I really just think, you know, radiology is unique in that, our data is, can be accessed through, you know, this worldwide electronic, you know, cloud-based system, right? So I can see how chest, how pathology and chest X-rays are presented in Nigeria, right, you know, cause we have a PAX, for example, at one of the hospitals that, you know, as an administrator there in my role to, through rat I can log in, right? So I'm, I'm giving you an example of, I I don't think the same applies to all fields, right? You know, I don't think you can sort of document things in other specialties the same way you can document it in radiology, right? Like we can all see how an ultrasound of, you know, a certain tumor looks like, right? With digital radiology. Now, the, the problem we're seeing on a global scale is that a lot of these places don't have a good PACS system, right? They don't have a way to really store and um, archive data, right? They don't have policies that enforce practices to store data for, let's say, five years, right? But I think because of these problems, there's an opportunity for for um, radiology to be more interconnected throughout the world by providing, you know. Store ways for these places to store images and to to be able to retrieve them um, in a way that's efficient. So, because of that, I think radiology has a is is data rich, right? You know, it, 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 we can is easily once we, we put the work in create let's say a database a database of how you know as an example, lung cancers around the whole world looks like. And, you know, with, with just a little bit of effort and building the technology, and I, I don't think the same thing exists in most other specialties.
0: I, I totally understand. So maybe, maybe, uh, maybe radiology is kind of at the forefront of this right now, and we're just kind of, again, we'll have to have you back and and, and see how all this plays out. If you if you would uh, be gracious enough to come back and. You know, maybe in a while, just figure out how this is, is progressing. But, you know, you you've done such a good job of characterizing the global nature of this. And again, I'll I'll ask you to scale down to the, the local, uh, if you will. Uh, you know, my last question, really, you know, in your opinion, what are some practical steps a radiologist or a practice can take to leverage data that they may have? You know, for sake of argument, say they do have access to, to the data. Uh, you know, how how can they leverage that data? you know, and other maybe PHM techniques to reach underserved community members, uh, you know, wherever they practice.
1: Yeah, so if, let's say I, I, you know, I got the data from my institution to say, you know what, patients or, you know, patients who are supposed to get CT scans don't show up on Fridays or on like Mondays or in the morning, right? And we look at it and say, you know, these patients were supposed to be, you know, these patients are supposed to have traveled from this particular zip code or that particular zip code. You know, we can look at sort of geographic information systems or or things like that to look at the types of transportation from X to Z, right? And see if there's anything we can do about that. But I think most importantly we can go to those communities and you know start to talk to the leaders in those communities to, to 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 really find out what is going on right like why why you know why you know why don't people you know utilize the healthcare system in a way that we think they should utilize it right and we might ultimately realize that it doesn't work for them and there might be a different approach that that we can take right so folks have obviously expanded image and services time, like um, time that it can be um, accessed to include like weekends, like evenings, for reasons like this, we can, we can, one of the, you know, one of the things we've realized from going into the community is that some stuff is just about misunderstanding. Like some folks might just not know one, things about costs, Mm. it could be about that. some folks might just not understand how to engage with the healthcare system. It's, you know, I, I'm a physician myself, and I think I've, I engaged with the healthcare system f- for the first time. Like w- when I recently got my job as an attendant and I, I got my, my insurance card, and I, you know, I didn't know what to do next. <laughs> I really was like, okay, so like, what do I do next? Like, how am I supposed to? start like using this healthcare system, you know, and, you know, I'm not, I'm not the brightest, brightest person, but I'm smart enough to be a, you know, to be a doctor, right? So like, you know, if, if that wasn't clear to me, right, then clearly it's not that clear. So we're realizing that just the the, the process of engaging the healthcare system is cumbersome at, at, you know, and for a lot of folks, depending on your level of, education, you know, and your level of commitment or belief in the process, it it, it just might be too much. Especially if you have other problems that are more proximal, you know, you have other social economic things going on that are really more important than like getting a lung cancer screening study. You're, You're not going to follow through on engaging with the healthcare system. So I really think if you had to ask me like, where you get your biggest bang for your buck is really just going out to the community and talking to people, right? Like building that trust, not just a one-time engagement going in there to do one particular thing, but letting them feel that you're here for the long haul and, and, and having them understand why you care, right? Cause they're, they're probably already preconceived notions about, while you're there in the first place. And it's probably not good.
0: That was, that was actually my next question is like, you know, the corollary of that is do they like, do they trust you being a doctor? Cause I feel like trust you, you brought up the keyword trust um, and mm-hmm. I know you're very persistent. I, we've talked about this in the past, you, you know, you continually go back and you go back. And I think just the fact of you being there will probably build trust, but, you know, for, for people that might get frustrated, I'm not, I'm, I mean, you know, physicians in, in your position who want to do what you've already done, um, you know, maybe in your own experience, have you experienced that frustration of, uh, you know, just there being pushed back or maybe, maybe people saying, yeah, okay, whatever. And they don't do much about it. Uh, and, and, you know, how have you pushed through that to, to, build
1: that trust? I think, you know, I haven't done done a whole lot, you know, to, you know, to be clear, you know, I don't have a long track record of success in, in these matters, right? But, you know, I've, I've been involved in a few things. And I think the success really has come from taking time to build rapport, right? Just like, success in, you know, a clinical encounter is really taking time, you know, going into a community and not rushing and pushing the agenda, mm. right, um, and understanding that they are pre- preconceived notions and not just ignoring them and expecting that, you know, and showing up with already frustrated as to why folks are not doing the that you think they're supposed to be doing, so I really think just coming in there with some level of humility mm. is is the most important then and some persistence right so I'll, I'll give you an example with, with like this COVID vaccine initiative that we've been doing at, at my institution at, at Penn right so we s- started going to underserved communities and initially there was a lot of success right you know because they were targeting the the older groups who really wanted who really wanted um, to get the vaccine, right? But after a while, once that group got vaccinated and you moved to the less, to the more hesitant group, you know, you would do these outreach programs and only a couple of people would show up, Mm -hmm. right? So sometimes, you know, there was this one that we had and it was at a mosque and nobody signed up, (laughs) you know, like nobody signed up to show up, and we had an option for signing up or walk in, mm-hmm. and you know, the question was, well, sh- should we cancel the event? Should we, you know, just not show up either and say, hey, listen, nobody showed up, so we're not gonna invest resources into this, you know, um, endeavor. But I think some, you know, some savvy, some folks who are more savvy in public health. Thankfully, we're involved and they made the decision that it was important that we go where we said we were going to be. Mm. Even if we go there and get one person to sign up, you know, that's an important step in building and letting the community know that, listen, when we say we're going to be somewhere, we're going to be there. And, you know, because we mean what we say and, and we care rather than going to a to you know we, we we could have canceled that and said hey listen why don't we just go to a different place where we know we're going to get more people right probably not these underserved groups but we can at least get better numbers and say we you know and make it look better so my point is that there is some value in just showing up getting comfortable and letting folks know that you're here
0: that's so interesting because we've talked so much about numbers and data, and then I feel like it's it's great to end on a more human note. So right. <clears throat> you're counterintuitively really saying we didn't have the numbers, but, you know, from a human perspective, just showing up is what's the old right. saying is 95% of the success yeah. is just showing up. Right. So, well, yeah. thank you, Dr. Daco. I, I thank you so much for taking a, you know time out of your ex- obviously very busy schedule uh to to speak with us today well you know i I just i also want to say to our our listeners you know uh you know we'll we'll again we'll we'll make sure to uh, include that link to our last conversation as i mentioned before in the show notes and and please do you know if you have any ideas for future show topics we always welcome them Uh, please please do hit us up on twitter at radiology acr and use that hashtag ACR Bulletin podcast. Um, I also invite you to check out all of our episodes at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and ACR's YouTube channel. And, uh, you know, please do subscribe to, to get all of our latest episodes. Thank you again, Dr. Decca. We really, really appreciate your time and please do enjoy your travels.
1: Awesome, Chris. Nice talking to you as usual. As Take usual. Care.
0: Hopefully you'll come yeah. back soon. Well, and thanks so much to our listeners. This has been the ACR Bulletin podcast. See you next time.